0: Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is under increasing pressure following new allegations of sexual harassment and the misreporting of COVID-19 nursing home deaths. Meanwhile, all eyes are on Minneapolis as jury selection starts for the trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin, who's charged for the death of George Floyd. And there's been an alarming rise in hate crimes against Asian Americans over the past year which many people attribute to former President Trump's dangerous rhetoric blaming China for the pandemic. Ann Milgram and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. And for a limited time, you can get 50% off the price for an annual membership by using the code JUSTICE. College students with a valid .edu email can head to cafe.com student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com student. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. So you mentioned, Anne, Governor Cuomo, multiple investigations swirling around him. With respect to the sexual misconduct, sexual harassment allegations, we have been waiting for the Attorney General of New York, Letitia James, to make an outside appointment pursuant to something called a 63B referral. The Attorney General, with the consent of the governor, which has been given, she has the authority to appoint an outside, independent lawyer or lawyers to look at something that's in the public interest, to make a review, to issue a report, and make other recommendations, et cetera. So after a number of days, she has made that appointment. And it's interesting because one of the people I know very well, she has appointed Ann Clark, who is a lawyer who for a long time has been involved in representing people. And she's been a longtime lawyer in the area of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct and employment law. And the other person is my dear, dear friend, June Kim, who was the deputy U.S. attorney when I was in office and became the acting U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York when I got fired. I've known him for 20 years. He's brilliant. He's hardworking. He's completely ethical. He has a lot of integrity. And so I have a lot of confidence that he will do a great job. I don't know Anne, but I hear good things about Ann Clark as well. And the other thing that June knows is, you know, he was in the top leadership at SDNY when we were investigating, and people forget this, when we were investigating the governor himself and people around him. And June oversaw the ultimate conviction of Joe Prococo, who was basically Andrew Cuomo's top aide, for a variety of public corruption crimes. So he's familiar with how to do high-profile investigations. He's familiar in particular with some of the ways that Andrew Cuomo and his lawyers deal with things. So I think it's a perfect choice.
1: What's interesting to me is that you would expect this to be a senior a senior female lawyer. And, and I do a lot of sort of internal investigations into sexual harassment, and, and I often work with companies that basically say, look, we'd like to have a female lead, in part because it is really important to have a senior Woman as part of the team, as as what they've done here is bring Anne Clark in, who's very experienced in this space. Because you know the idea being, you want women to be totally comfortable. And here are the the complainants, the the women who have come forward, saying that they were sexually harassed by by Governor Cuomo, they they are women. And so this sort of idea that that there's a level of comfort, whether that's fair or not, or whether that's a, a question of perception, I think you know we could we could discuss. But there are actually a lot of really amazing, significant. Female lawyers who've held positions of authority in government over the past five years, and so I thought June was was he's tremendous. I don't know him like you know, but I know I know him by reputation. I've met him a couple times, and in some ways, I think it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, right? It's going to be a lot of work, and it's going to be it's going to be real. I mean, this is a, this is going to be a tough a tough assignment in some ways. But part of me actually thinks that the reason he was selected. And something where you you would expect a little bit, maybe that they would have gone in a different direction, is that he's investigated Cuomo and Cuomo's folks, and he has experience in dealing with this. And I think that that's probably not an insignificant calculation in a city and state where— Andrew Cuomo has been governor. He'll, he's in his third term. He's extraordinarily powerful. You're looking for someone who's not going to be afraid to, you know, call balls and strikes on him. And June already has a, a track record of having done that. And so that, that to me, sort of explains a little bit. And, and again, I think he's an exceptional lawyer. I don't know if he's done this kind of work. But again, Aunt Clark really has. And so as a team, I think they'll make a great team.
0: Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a good marriage. You know, I don't know. This is all speculation. I think Tish James was— trying to send a message in addition to appointing people who could do the work. And the message is that, you know, one of the leaders of the investigation is fearless and not afraid of Andrew Cuomo and all sorts of things that he may try or stunts that his lawyers may try because he's been known to do that kind of thing. And also to make sure that people understand that this person is in no way in the tank for Andrew Cuomo. Remember at the beginning, Cuomo tried to to pick the person who was going to investigate him, and he initially picked someone with a great reputation, Barbara Jones, but Barbara Jones looked like she had some connection to someone who was very close to the governor, Steve Cohen, at the law firm. Then he tried to get someone who also owes him her job, Janet Fiore, the chief judge of the Court of Appeals in New York, to be the one to pick the outside person. So I think to contravene any suspicions that the person would not be fully independent, She picked someone like June to go along with Ann Clark to show this person doesn't owe Andrew Cuomo anything and has been strong with respect to the governor's office before. And we'll see how that goes. I
1: I think she's also sending another message because June is the former acting U.S. attorney, right? And so, you know, you expect people will cooperate with investigations, but there are times where people don't cooperate. And if there were, you know, obstruction or other things to happen, like you're basically sending a message that you're sending in someone who is— experienced in criminal prosecutions. They have a very strong background. June will know how to wield the subpoena power to get documents and evidence. And so in the end, I think that this is going to have turned out to have been a very good choice with the two of them. And I have no question as to their independence. And I, I my gut is that you're right. But it, it did, at first, I had to sort of step back and think, what well, wasn't exactly what I, what I would have expected.
0: Can we talk for a minute about the investigation itself? Yes. You've done these kinds of things, and I've been thinking about what are the sorts of steps that you would take Would you immediately interview the identified victims who have come forward? Would you immediately subpoena the governor's office and any other entity that might have in their possession written complaints, formal complaints? Would you ask for the emails right away? What's the order in which you might do this?
1: I mean I think the answer is yes. And <laughs> to all of the above. You do everything because, at once, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, well, well, part of the challenge and and just so folks understand with internal investigations is that you need to get all that internal information. Here you'll probably have people who had government issued cell phones or you know it used to be blackberries but now they're probably iPhones or Android devices, you, you'll want access to those. You'll want access to all the emails that were sent. You'll want access to all the logs of who was in the governor's office. You'll also want to see the hiring and sort of staffing who worked in, you know, the, the governor's office can can often be a number of people, but there's a small inner staff that's made up of executive assistants like one of these women and sort of, you know, folks who would come in, in contact with the governor's office a lot. You're going to want to understand on the days and times that the women say they were in a certain place with Governor Cuomo, who else was there? Do the records show, confirm that they were there? So so that takes time to get those documents. So basically, day one, they're going to start asking for all of that stuff. And simultaneously, they're going to set up times to talk with these women. And also, you know, there, there's sort of a few pieces here. One is, are there other complainants? Are there other individuals who may have been, whether they themselves were the subject of potential behavior, or they witness potential behavior. And also, there's a big question here, pre like in every investigation of, well, who else did you tell, right? Or did anyone ever mention to you, like when you came into the governor's office, did anyone ever say to you, like, don't be alone, you know, like, you know, try not to work late at night by yourself or anything like that. And again, that's totally a hypothetical from other matters I've handled. That's not, we don't know what the facts are going to be here. But in a situation like this over time, and we now have five Women who made allegations, four of whom worked with the governor. The fifth was at a wedding, and I would sort of, you know, put that to the side um, at the beginning of the investigation because sexual harassment really involves harming women's ability to work, and so that would really be the focus here. Are the the women who were at work? I'll tell you what else I would look at on something like this, pre and I I'd be curious to hear you on this. The response by the governor's office. So the, the question, what some of the questions will be. Of all the women who have made complaints and if any new women who might come forward, did they say anything to the governor's staff? Did they make formal or informal complaints? Who did they go to? And what did the governor's office leadership do about it? And so there's there's at least one instance where we know that one of the women made a complaint to one of the governor's senior staff members and then ultimately told another one and then was transferred to another office. That's a very old school thing to have done.
0: But I think the question is going to be a couple of questions. One is, did they follow protocol? And the second is, with respect to all these things that the governor has been saying, is he truthful? Is he credible? Because at the end of the day, part of the consequence here is going to be political. June and Ann are going to provide a report. Presumably that becomes public. And they're not just going to examine the allegations and the underlying conduct, but also the response, as you say, by the governor. And there, there are a couple of things where I think the governor may already be in trouble. One of those is, his his immediate response in connection with his apology has been to say, I had no idea that I offended anyone, that I made anyone uncomfortable. And I gotta say, even without seeing the results of any exhaustive investigation, that seems to be a bunch of BS. Because with respect to at least one case, if this is corroborated, as you just pointed out, this woman went to the staff, she was transferred. She's someone who had been known to the governor. Is there any universe in which Andrew Cuomo, who is a severe micromanager, and you know, knows what's going on in his office, would not have been told that something was up and that something strange had happened? I, I can't imagine. And the second thing, just quickly, and this may be a minor point, I'm I'm curious what you think about it, is he was asked the question, you know, did you take the same sexual harassment training as every other state employee has to take? And he said, Short answer is yes. And then there are there are also reports that say that you know he had a staffer take that training for him. And that's not the biggest thing in the world, but the more his credibility gets beaten up in a final report, the worse it is for him. Do you agree?
1: Yeah. So if, just to break down a few things, I mean, first, you're you you're right. The question will be, did they follow protocol, which is dictated by sexual harassment law? So this is going to be the question of, you know, did they do what, what is legally required to be done? And as a rule in sexual harassment, we don't let people just, you know, complain and then walk away. We don't give them the option and and it it seems heavy-handed when you talk about it but the idea is like just take Charlotte Bennett she's 25 years old she's an executive assistant the governor is like you know 20 levels senior to her as you said right and so there's just this huge disparity in power and so if you ask someone like that You know, would they want to proceed with a formal investigation? The answer's almost always going to be no because of that power imbalance. And so I think think it is a really important question of did they do this by the book or did they not do it by the book? My instinct, I see issues here, right? And that would be something I would spend a lot of time understanding. In terms of what he would have known and said, I mean, this is a moment where— She's his one of his executive assistants. And so he's gonna see her frequently when he's in the office. And so let's say, hypothetically, that there's a situation where no one tells him anything, which I personally find very hard to believe. It's implausible to think he wouldn't have asked, Hey, where did she go? Why did she leave? Right. Like she was a good employee. Like, why did she disappear overnight?
0: He's he's the most serious micromanager of any public official that I am aware of by reputation. And I know this from personal experience with him as well.
1: And on training, I think you're right that it is a big issue. And I think it's a big issue Look, you and I have, we take the sexual harassment training for NYU. It's long. It's online. You have to watch videos. There are hypotheticals that are very specific as to what you can and cannot do. It would be clear from, if, if it were similar to the NYU training, and I would guess that the state training is, is very serious as well because they take this seriously.
0: It might be identical. I mean, I think, yeah. I think these, these trainings are vetted and probably have some degree of consistency.
1: And a lot of the hypotheticals will be similar to some of the things that we're hearing, some of the allegations we're hearing here. So one thing that's also fascinating is it's not a whodunit right? I mean, these women have said, Governor Cuomo did this. And he's basically said, yeah, I did a lot of it, but I never intended to cause the harm. So he's denied sort of the physical, you know, the unwanted kissing, but he hasn't denied the other things. And so that puts us in this, you know, you already have some admissions. And then the question is going to be some of these pieces around, you know, is he credible in saying that he had no idea people didn't like it and no one ever said anything to him? I think when it comes time to things like the training, what training he did, conversations he he will have had with staff or others, he's going to get pushed really hard on that, and I think I, I think your instincts are going to be right.
0: A couple other things I want to say, and I know that some people in the country who are listening have only just come to know Andrew Cuomo in the last number of months, and they enjoyed his statements and his press conferences about COVID, and he appeared to be a strong leader. You know, Andrew Cuomo has been around for a long time, and I have a lot of experience with him directly because we investigated various things. There was, I don't wanna belabor the point and and go over ancient history, but there was an an anti-corruption commission, the Moreland Commission that was stood up because of the work of my office. Because we were arresting, prosecuting, and convicting legislator after legislator in New York, both Democrats and Republicans, the governor felt he had to do something about it because he's responsive and realizes it didn't look good that the governor wasn't taking public corruption seriously. So he sets up this Moreland Commission And then he disbands it under weird circumstances, in my view, prematurely. So we exchanged, you know, I exchanged words in public. And I will just say that among the challenges of investigating powerful people is if those powerful people wield their power or are known to wield their power in a particular way, meaning they make clear that there will be hell to pay if you cross him. And there are various reports, just even in the last number of weeks, where the governor has called up another politician, and said, I will ruin your reputation. This is the kind of thing he does. I remember being uh, kind of taken aback when when we were having, you know, sort of public disagreement about the closing of the Moreland Commission. Multiple people wrote to me, including one journalist, with some concern and said, you know that that the governor engages in retaliation. And I'm like, I don't know what kind of retaliation he's going to engage in against me. I'm the sitting United States attorney. And people joked, you know, do you have an armored vehicle? Do you have bodyguards? And those were jokes but they were jokes that arose from a perception, not imagined, but real, that this is a person who doesn't like anyone to cross him. So that's a dynamic, I hate to say, that's at play here as well, notwithstanding how jovial he may have seemed in some of these uh, press conferences that he did, which also, by the way, have been undermined by this other issue, the undercounting of people who died in nursing homes as well. So Andrew Cuomo did not arrive anew in the country as his benevolent hero. He has a long history of doing certain kinds of things and acting a certain kind of way and averting his eyes to certain kinds of things in the state for a long time. And, you know, if we say those kinds of things about Republicans, we have to say those things about Democrats, too.
1: I want to I want to talk about the, the health care piece because I, I personally think that this is also really important. And one of the things we're seeing here, which is unusual, is that a lot of times when you and I talk about an issue or an investigation, pre it's, it's one thing. And here, there's two.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Use the code justice for 50% off the price of an annual membership. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.